0: Why hello everybody! It's been a while. <laughs> Once again, I'm I'm Mike gasolina joined by my uh, partner in crime Matt Rogers, and uh, we we're excited to be back. Matt, it's good to see you again, man. It's good to see you. It has been forever. <laughs> we have had quite a uh, a hiatus. Not for not for anything other than we've just both been so crazy busy with the time of year and uh we want to get back on the horse so we appreciate you hanging with us and and dealing with our uh our our mini hiatus but we're back at it and we'll be um better than ever at this point (laughs) i I gotta say it's pretty cool i had a bunch of people reaching
1: out like where in the heck have you guys been is everything all right are you guys in a fight what's going on (laughs) no none, none of that is the case it's just the, the truth of this kind of time of year, and uh, I know right after we finished our last presentation or a podcast, I ended up having my week of conferences, and you followed up recently with yours, and um, guess what? The holidays came and went, and they are crazy.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of what we're going to lead off a little bit with here is is how we survive the holiday season. Because, listen, between um, kids get sick at this time of year, there are germs. How do you kind of like – Manage to stay on your feet and survive the craziness of, of the, the flu season, and on top of that, you have um, the, the holidays rolling around, the kids are starting to get a little rambunctious in the classrooms. And you know, how, how, do, you, how do you manage to survive every single day with the, the craziness when things are picking up?
1: Absolutely, I think. Uh, so, jumping into the, the basics, the moment that October 1st hits, in every kid's mind it transitions. There is a switch that goes off and says, this is Halloween month. And even though they have to wait 31 days, they are so amped for those 31 days. And literally the moment that Halloween is over, it shifts right again to Thanksgiving. And as we come to you on November 29th, it has already shifted again because Santa or Kwanzaa or Hanukkah is coming up. uh, And it is, whether we want to admit it or not, the priority in their their heads. Um, So I know about my classroom, the behaviors, I know we were in this honeymoon. I, I remember saying this earlier in the school year. I had this amazing class, and, and they're wonderful and and fantastic. They are still wonderful and fantastic, but some true colors are starting to show this, this time of year. Um, even today, I had my fair share of challenges, but that's kind of what comes in with the battle of Santa Claus and uh, turkey dinners. It's just... It's one of those inevitable things that happened in November and December how's it going with you
0: you know it's 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 funny because I remember last year at this time um, we had a lull in the behaviors we it was very relaxed and kids were came back from the Thanksgiving break and we smoothly transitioned ourselves right through um, right through December into our other holiday break and you know we're seeing the same thing right now our students are settling into their routines um, rather easily at this point and I say that while I knock on wood Um, but we you know this is the time of year where interruptions are going to happen you're going to have the weather you have the set breaks and you know you're going to you're going to wake up some days and there's going to be snow on the ground and ice on the ground and uh, there's going to be delays and there's going to be closings, and your kids are going to be, you know, off because of those things. And you know, the best, um, the best way, and I tell teachers this every day is just to be ready. Like every day is going to be the same type of day. Just to make it as consistent. Be there at the door. Um, have the schedule posted. Go through the schedule with them every single day. If there is a change in it, make sure you're being very explicit about what that change is and why that change was made, because Students thrive on um, the consistency of what school brings to them. So, you know, through the sickness and through everything that you're going to encounter over the next uh, month to two months with all the breaks and the possible sicknesses that you'll have, just make sure to stay as consistent as you possibly can and be as flexible as you possibly can because there's nothing that we can control that's coming your way. <laughs>
1: Absolutely, I think uh, first first thing I would say a flu shot is worthwhile. Yes, <laughs> um, absolutely worthwhile. Um, I actually I use um, some home remedies, kind of like uh, we use uh, some uh, vitamin C style gummies. They are fantastic. Do whatever you need. Orange juice in the morning. Uh, get out in the sun every day. Whatever it takes. Just try to keep yourself healthy first. Because uh, when one kid starts dropping from an illness, it's going to spread very quickly throughout the other, other parts of your classroom. But um, as you were talking about routine, I, I, I go back to when I taught um, some of my, my kids with uh, autism. And uh, one of the things that is just critical when teaching those kids is making sure every day seems like the same day. Um, introducing changes in a very slow and methodical way. And uh, just like we say, I I know I'll kind of bring this up uh, a little bit later, is we, we want to just continue to bring good teaching practices. And a great teaching practice is just preparing your kids to know what to expect. That routine is so important. And if they see the change, then that gives them the green light that the same expectations of behavior are not necessarily there. So if you can hold on, especially right now, um, we had a snow day last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, the freak snowstorm come in and it just totally disrupts the entire day. They see snow, they're running towards the window, that type stuff. Hey, uh, I, want, I want to remind you, we're still in class. We're still uh, following the same set of rules we had from day one. Yes, go enjoy it. I'll give you 60 seconds, check it out, but we're going to come back and, and recognize we've seen that a bunch of times and, and get back to work. And uh, it makes a big difference.
0: One thing that, you know, I, I always tried to do if I knew um, on a Monday that there was a chance Tuesday was going to be a delay uh, was. Sit my students down and go over what could happen if there is a delay. Hey, guys, remember, if there's a delay tomorrow, we don't have gym because that's our special time and we miss that that time and we won't make that up just want you to be aware of that because it really helps to prepare them the next day when they come in they remember you know they might still be disappointed but they remember and it's not the conversation all over again so if you know there's a chance of it happening it's okay to preface that for them they they appreciate that transparency um even if they are second graders um the other thing that i always did was and maggie I, I'm, I, I'm sure you do the same, or you, you've done the same. I have a schedule hanging as soon as they walk in the door, and it changes with the minor thing each day. Like, yeah, our special. I just write the special for the day. Um, but you know, if there's a delay, the first thing I do when I walk in that door is I change. Um, I, I, I change the schedule to match what our day is going to look like because they're going to look at that the second they walk in the door. It's going to be the first thing they do. They're going to want to see what the day is looking like without the. Um, or with the delay um, but you know this time of year brings those sorts of things your schedule's going to look wonky because you have um, special things planned for them and it's important that they know those things be flexible but also help them to understand um, that like Matt said although these things are changing and although these things are happening the expectations remain the same
1: so I want to kind of, you, you've talked about delays and those type of things. I, I want to get your take, because I had a kind of interesting take. Um, we had an early dismissal uh, that ended up leading next day into a, a snow day. And how early do you let kids know about an early dismissal?
0: How early do we let them know?
1: So I, we got the call. at uh, My kids were had just gotten in the door, essentially. We were... Uh, off to special and uh, so by like nine thirty we knew that it was going to be an early dismissal and i I waited until about ten forty five eleven o'clock what What is kind of your your thought process? obviously, you need in the the assistant principal role to let adults and parents know as soon as possible so that they can start arranging plans to make sa- safe transitions to home but what uh what's kind of your take on? How you would handle that as a classroom teacher?
0: Um, my what I always did was make sure that um, we were in a we were in good. I mean, some kids kind of knew. Like they would come to school and basically say like, "Oh, my mom says we're getting out today. <laughs> we're going to get out early today." <laughs> Something like that. Um, yeah, I think I think. Um, most times I would just play it by ear and kind of decide based on the mood of the kids that day. Um, obviously when the schedule changes there's not much we can do if, they, if they're if they realizing they're eating at a different time um, then we just kind of, kind of go with it uh, and let them know right away. I know uh, this one was interesting because we had an early release on the Wednesday for professional development and then Thursday the snow came and the kids had another early release. So they were back to back. So they had they had the early release schedule on Wednesday and then it was early release again on Thursday um, and their mindset was like, oh, we're getting out early. So the teachers kind of told them right away. I think that's uh, you know just play it by ear type of thing. You know your class and you'll know how they'll respond and um, and, and you'll know what's best for them.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I ended up holding off a little bit just because they get wild, and the moment that they heard they weren't going to have recess, they, they knew, so I ended up bringing the, uh, the district kind of image onto the TV in my room and let them kind of recognize on their own, and they start celebrating and jumping around, which is fun, but... Uh, it can be disruptive. That's why we hold off until they need to know. At least in fourth grade, I could see it being different in in the second grade and younger younger classes. So,
0: oh yeah, one for th- sure. I think it depends on. I think it just depends on the kids and the and the age group.
1: Absolutely. So one of the things I want to kind of talk to you um, tonight about is, and, and we're excited. We have a a good buddy of of mine. His name's Ryan Anthony. He's gonna. He's a, a just an unreal uh, character. I'll, I'll start there. Just a, a really lively person that has a great heart and uh, just great perspective on education, kind of focusing on the priorities and letting go of some of the unnecessary components. But um, he's going to kind of talk about, we'll get into it a little bit later, uh, just mindset of teachers going into some challenging opportunities. Um, and that's a lot of, I mean, not necessarily fancy words, but a lot of jargon to say how, how to approach something you're not comfortable in. Um, because I I think one of the, the priorities that we're trying to get out to you is to take risks. And that's something you're going to hear from him as well from the, the admin side. I know we, we've talked about this a little bit, but, um, maybe what is your perspective in past we talked about what is the perspective of the teacher? What should they do for the admin? Um, Mike, maybe I'll ask you from your end, what do you think is your perspective going into a classroom trying to support, uh, a, a younger or newer teacher? What is, what is your perspective of how, um, you're trying to encourage them to take risks and, and, be the best that they can be
0: I think from you know one one of the pieces of feedback I've gotten over the course of time um, that I've been doing this short time I should say the year and a half I've been doing it um, is teachers really appreciate when I sit down with them and say look you're take you want to take a risk talk to me about the risk that you want to take and you know they kind of fill me in on what um, you know what they're looking to do and and I say well you know Try, try, try it on your own. Um, give it a shot. If you want me to come in and just observe, not evaluate. But observe and give you feedback, I'm, I'm absolutely in for that. If you want to run it want to run it with your kids once, see how it works, and then have me come in the second time and, and just watch and observe and give you feedback, that's fine. But I think sometimes from teacher to administrator um, or vice versa, it may feel if, if an administrator is in your room, they are there to evaluate and they're there. And I, I try and put that barrier down um, as often as I can. Um, I can't do it all the time, right? Like I do have to go in and evaluate and give, of course, uh, the the necessary feedback. But I, you know, I, I do leave that door open to teachers and, and let them know that I, everything that I do has to be evaluative, um, and I can just be an extra eye and just be there to give the feedback that you know they're looking for to improve their practice. Um, it encourages risk taking that way. You know, if you're taking a risk, you don't want to be evaluated on it right away. It's maybe down the road, but maybe just at the at the first corner at that first turn, you're just hoping to have somebody come in watch. And just be an extra pair of eyes to give productive feedback. So that's one. That's one of the things I've tried to do. And, and teachers have told me they appreciate about my administrative practice um, is to give them that outlet of having an administrative eye to just give basic feedback and not and have that not be evaluative.
1: I find that fairly interesting that, that that's your approach, and I and I hope that that's something that is common in the administrative world. Um, because I I do feel like not knowing what you do throughout your day, I know you're responsible for a lot. And I think one of the biggest frustrations from the instruction or teacher role is it's very clear what I'm doing during my day. You can see I'm doing science at this time. I'm doing math at this time, Mm -hmm. specialists at this time, spellings at this time. And it's difficult to see what the administrators are doing. So... When you have fear that they pop in at that perfect time, it's it's nice to to kind of leave a door open and feel comfortable to say, hey, it, it isn't always just evaluation based. Um, because too many times that's what our priority is. Is my evaluation going to be good at the end of the year? Because really that's a huge portion of if I'm coming back next year, especially as a new teacher. Um, but. I'm hoping to, and I know you are as well, to encourage others to, to um, I, I would hope to say, if you take a risk, then that scene, even if that risk fails, that that's uh, a more preferred Outcome than someone who plays it safe and isn't really trying to push to try and give kids the best opportunity.
0: Right, because I mean, you know, ultimately we're trying to get our kids to take risks. We're trying to get our kids to be comfortable in collaboration. Um, but if 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 I'm sitting there and I'm telling teachers, uh, you know, you're you're going to be evaluated the first time you take a risk, whether you're comfortable doing it or not. I'm not really supporting. I'm just setting them up and not creating a culture or an opportunity for them to have a growth mindset. You know, the, the first time I evaluate now, if it doesn't come out well, now that it's a fixed mindset, well, I'm not going to go back and do that. I'm not going to give that another shot. So I think, you know, that's, that's kind of the approach um, that I've tried to take. And I will say not everybody takes you up on it. Um, and that's, that's perfectly okay. Some people are still trying to work out things on their own and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but you know, I, have been trying to get it out there as often as I possibly can, that it is an opportunity that's out there.
1: Perfect. Well, I think that as we talk about these risks and Hey, I'm on, on the teacher side, hoping to take the risks. You're on the receptive side, hoping your teachers take risks and, and, recognizing that that's uh, only good is going to come out of it if if one lesson is ruined because something fails well hopefully as long as you have the perspective that you're going to grow from it and and not uh turn back and, and never consider it again then uh, if you are with that growth mindset i'm going to improve hey go for it so um I, I think that leads perfectly into our conversation tonight with ryan uh, again ryan anthony is a uh a pretty pretty awesome guy who who did some impactful stuff in the classroom that you'll hear about, but uh, more importantly, is touching more and more kids' lives at a, a bigger level right now. Whether that is locally in his position or speaking, uh, he he won't share, he won't uh, embarrass himself or or boast about himself, but speaking at both the the local and state and uh, national level at this point. Uh, both uh, in person and, and online as his presence. So uh, looking forward for you to, to enjoy his conversation, and uh, we'll get right into it.
0: Yeah, let's do it.
1: All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're really excited to have a special guest on tonight. Uh, when we talk about special, uh, he can fulfill that bill in multiple ways, but uh, a good buddy of mine named Ryan Anthony. Ryan... R-Y-N-E, not Ryan. Um, he is uh, a guy I've known for about three years now with a, a variety of different uh, kind of opportunities through, we, we've talked about PD campus before and STEM camp, so he's part of that crew as well, uh, but doing some pretty neat things in the central to eastern part of Pennsylvania currently for the CCIU. So uh, Ryan, thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Looking forward to it.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, nice to meet you, Mike. Nice to meet you. Yeah, it takes a strong
1: man to be patient with Matt Rogers. So <laughs> That's a very
0: true statement. I'm looking it's a forward very, to
1: getting to know you, man. It's a very true statement. Well, before it gets any more dangerous, we'll jump right into it. Um, so we, we start every it. interview with uh, a guest with the same question, um, This is a podcast where we're really aiming to put towards newer teachers, future teachers. How do we get from point A to point B, which is uh, where we think you're doing something right? That may be in question, but how would you say was your path from uh, like your experience in education as both the student side as well as going into the, the instructional side? So take us on that journey.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so the student that I was, I was super active, always into all the hands on stuff. Uh, and I got real frustrated real quick when, you know, I was told to sit in my seat, do this worksheet, you know, read this chapter book, read the textbook and just kind of got super frustrated with that whole scenario. Um, and right about the time of high school, I had some really awesome teachers that created these authentic learning experiences where you could get really creative, and they were funny, and I enjoyed it. And then I had the complete opposite, where you know I, I literally had one uh, high school teacher tell me that some of you know the answers are in the back of the book. Why do you even need me? So um, I knew kind of early on in high school I was going to get into education. I really like sports and the coaching aspect of it. Um, so kind of I, I kind of you know developed this mindset and idea that. I want to be more like that teacher and not that teacher. Um, And so I kind of had that idea and passion moving forward is trying to create these, you know, authentic, awesome learning experiences for kids um, where you weren't worried about them, you know, being compliant, but being more engaged. Um, So teaching, you know, middle school science later on in my career, you know, I kind of had that mindset where, you know, I wanted to make sure that kids were enjoying class, but they were engaged and they were creating and they were just going around having some fun. So. That's kind of where I'm at right now with the mindset of, uh, of what my teaching style was. Can you
1: kind of take us, I know that you had, um, I'll say, uh, unconventional, but also very now normal path to, uh, what you call a career. Um, I yeah. mean, unconventional, well, I mean, it's, it's not what for a long time we'd consider yeah. the normal path. You graduate, you get a job right out of school. I know you kind of bounced around a little bit, um, can you kind of talk about the beginnings and, and where it led you? And maybe if that was yeah. a, a benefit, uh, a little of uh, kind of forcing yourself to grow some thick skin and uh, put a lot of effort in, even if you know it's short stints. Yeah. Yeah, so
2: I, um, well, first off, college was the best five years of my life, which is pretty awesome. Um, I was a <laughs> biology secondary ed major. So I had the whole biology. If we could just silence our phones, that would be great. No, you got to keep
0: I, it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so I was talking about yeah these trials and tribulations. I don't I don't know what I told you before, Matt. Hopefully I wasn't lying to you earlier about you know like losing a limb or something. But I um no I I was you know I was a biology major at college. Um, got into biology secondary ed, mostly because I had a really awesome high school biology teacher that I was kind of alluding to earlier. Um, so then graduated from Westchester university, uh, with the biology degree, biology cert, and then landed a, a cyber teaching position for a year. Um, and that was cool, but I, I, I was missing the interaction with the kids. I had a really good student teaching experience. So I knew I wanted to get back into the classroom at some point, but the really cool thing about that cyber school experience was I was learning the back end of eventually what now is called blended learning and and a lot of the, you know, tech initiatives with personalized learning and students having their own devices. So it was kind of cool for me to get that experience in a cyber environment. Um, Bounced around as a long-term sub then getting into the classroom and then landed a uh, full-time position out in October school district as an eighth grade science teacher for I think about the past seven years. Um, Then I actually ended up leaving the classroom Uh, a year ago uh, to pursue a career at Chester County Interim Unit as a educational innovation specialist, um, which is pretty cool. So my time as an eighth grade middle school science teacher, again, looking for those hands-on, authentic learning experiences with kids or, you know, the ability to have them create things and and using the iPads. I was fortunate enough that we are a one-to-one iPad district and uh, got onto the Schoology kick and trained a lot of teachers in that. Um, was doing a bunch of stuff centered around you know iMovie and and students creating and doing a lot of cool stuff with iPads, which turned into training teachers about the fun things with the iPads and training teachers in Schoology while at the same time teaching eighth grade. Um, and I would say the past three years, I really got into the STEM integration um, and and bringing you know different robots and things like that and Makey Makey, OzoBot, Sphero into the classroom. Um, and then I got on this kick of you know, trying to get this experiences into other content areas, other classes, which I think we call now you know, the STEM integration. Um, and that's kind of how I got the job at the IU. Uh, they recognized and they saw a lot of things that I was doing in and around the classroom, and, and most importantly, training other teachers on ways they could bring these types of experiences to their classroom. And they uh, said, you know, we have a lot of schools in our area asking these questions, looking for this type of support. Would you want to do this at the IU and, and kind of have a bigger impact? And I, uh, it was a tough call. It was a real tough decision leaving the classroom. But I uh, I jumped at it, and uh, I'm glad I did.
1: Well, I think you bring up a, a few things that I kind of want to highlight. Um, the first off is I think you bring up the, the comment of not only were you focused on your day-to-day responsibilities, but kind of whether it was by choice or uh, – Kind of thrusted upon you some other responsibilities in addition to just the day to day teaching. Um, can you kind of talk about how yeah. that, maybe uh, yeah. from your side, the benefits or also maybe the, the obligations that you kind of faced with that? Yeah, it was
2: definitely by choice. I think my my learning style, teaching style, and kind of my personality is, um, I don't know, I guess say like an extrovert. I guess you would call it that, right, Matt? Would
1: you call it an extra? I don't know if that's a teaching style, but... <laughs>
2: well, you want to call the other things, so at least we can call it... But, I mean, like, personality-wise, right? Like, I always wanted to figure out what the cool things were going on with kids, like how I could create these experiences for them. Um, so it was kind of by choice to kind of show other teachers what was going on and that, that true collaboration, which, honestly, at the time, like, 10 years ago, was pretty rare. Like, this idea that you could talk to other teachers and get excited about learning. And, and thankfully, now... You know, I think that's becoming a lot better at schools um, when we start bringing in more cross-curricular things and and these areas for innovation and maker spaces in schools where a bunch of teachers, regardless of your content, can kind of come together. So I was kind of put in an environment where, you know, science kind of stayed in its own room, which kind of stunk. But I I just, I remember one day um, I was talking to the librarian and she was tasked with doing a Google Drive training and she was kind of asking me like, you know, how I would do the training or things that I knew about Google Drive um, and Google Docs and the whole sharing thing. And I kind of started telling her, and she's like, Do you want to do the training? And I was like, Yeah, that'd be cool. So I think it was like my second year teaching at the district, so I was still pretty new. Um, and I think that I ran my first Google Drive training where I had about 30 teachers from the district sit and we looked at what Google Drive looked like on the iPad and tips and tricks. And the rest was kind of history. I, you know, I, I started to enjoy teaching. You know, adults teaching teachers just as much as students, and, and that's kind of how I kind of segued into what I'm doing right now. So, yeah.
0: with what you're doing right now, Ryan, I, I I find it really interesting. And from an elementary perspective, and we kind of talked about this um, before we started recording tonight, but the the idea of um, primary grades, having these authentic opportunities and diving into um, opportunities on those those Google applications that are available, looking at Google Docs and communicating and collaborating on there. Do you see limitations for younger students and teachers who are going to be working in the primary grades or what are ways that they can avoid those roadblocks?
2: Yeah, that's a a great question. Um, So a lot of it is, you know, it's kind of tough early on for especially younger guys to kind of have a google drive account we get this question a lot at the iu you know what what age is the right age to have them own their own google account or you know have this idea of this cloud based stuff where i can save things to it so you know our whole idea is is the earlier the best but you know it's not going to stick necessarily but there's a lot of things that you could do that, that kind of put those things in play so that they kind of keep growing on that knowledge from year to year to year um so i you know i don't say it's pretty rare matt what do you teach You're third grade right fourth, fourth grade Fourth grade, and you got guys in Google Drive, yeah, right? Yeah, Google, Google, Google Docs and Google stuff.
1: Sites. Um, yeah, you know, the entire suite at this point.
2: Yeah, which is awesome. So, like, I would say about uh, third, fourth, fifth grade, they really can get a grasp on it, um, just with things that are there, and, and the idea of logging in, and I have this account, and I think you kind of create this cool atmosphere where that whole like computer science or digital citizenship or those applied digital skills kind of happen automatically with a lot of students, which is pretty cool. Um, so, so those kind of types of instances, you know, I, I would say they, they kind of start to take more ownership and, and kind of push those limits a little bit to try it out, um, which, which is pretty cool. But the other thing too, is finding other tools. Seesaw is a really good one. I don't know if you guys um, are using Seesaw where you guys are at, but I know a lot of elementary teachers are loving that. And that's kind of gotten big the last couple of years, you know, the ability to be able to quick, take a quick snapshot, send that home so parents could see it. I think it's kind of cool when, when students start to take some ownership of that, so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a fine line. It's a little bit tricky. Um, it's going to take kind of knowing your audience and knowing your students, but I think providing some opportunities for them to get engaged and, and kind of take some ownership of that stuff uh, I think is exciting for them and, and definitely something they can build on from year to year. And I, I get blown away by the thought that, you know, we're having sixth graders or, you know, when I taught eighth grade, my whole goal was, man, how awesome would it be when I get these eighth graders you know the next year, the incoming class that they already know how to use Google Drive, mm-hmm. they know how to use Google Docs, they know how to use Google Slides, and it's this, you know, this, this digital kind of knowledge that they just kind of pick up on, and uh, you don't have to teach that anymore in computer science classes when they get to middle school because hopefully they already know it, and that's just awesome because now we can start doing some some cooler stuff, and and we don't have to kind of take time to do that. So it's exciting. And I know.
1: I mean, from my side, I think. When it comes to our responsibilities, my goal, I always say this, is to make the next grade's job a lot harder. Um, And I don't mean that in a negative way of physically giving them bad habits. But honestly, hey, I'm going to provide an instructional method that future teachers are going to be recognizing they need to kind of update their style to recognize what the kids want and need and and hopefully a more personalized experience that's going to lead to more success. Oh, absolutely. And, and the, I think the
2: whole too the, you know, I had a being a younger teacher, I had that mindset of, well, they'll probably get to this later on. So I won't really cover it, mm-hmm. but to, more towards the end of my career, like, well, why not just cover it? Like it's okay if they get that again, or if they're able to do this at my grade level, then maybe the grade level above me should be doing something a little harder. And that's, that's a tough conversation to have. Like when you're early on teaching, but um, it's definitely something, you know, that, that can kind of can open up some, some, uh, conversations and help that culture out of district is, you know, the, the talks from grade to grade. And I always love talking to the high school teachers. When I taught eighth grade, I said, Hey guys, this is what I'm doing in eighth grade. What else can I do? Um, do you do a similar project? You know, do you have any advice or anything like that? And I would say nine times out of 10, they were very receptive and, and excited about what I was doing. And, and I had an older teacher, Was a chemistry teacher and we were in a chemistry unit. And I said, Hey, I'm doing these reactions. And he said, Oh, I do them. And I'm like, Oh, sorry, man. And they were cool. Like, I I didn't want to ruin them for him. Like, if it was a surprise. And his whole take was, He's like, Nah, he's like, Go for it, do it. Because when they get to me, they kind of can, they know what's expected. But then we go even deeper, further into like the chemistry. So they say, Yeah, we knew that this blew up, but like, why did it blow up? And I just thought that was a real cool perspective that him being an older teacher, you know, the seasoned teacher, was able to say, hey, you know, it's cool that you're doing this stuff because it's going to help me do it better later on. Where I, f- I feel like some teachers are, you can't even get near that project because that's my baby and I'm going to do that next year with them. So, you know, I, that's a very touchy subject, especially as a, as a younger teacher. But my, my advice would be talk often and, uh, you know, don't be afraid to ask the questions that might get a little awkward.
1: So when you were in your classroom, the, I kind of want to bring up, your your victories but also kind of what you would consider your expertise so obviously you were highlighted in certain ways in certain areas that you um kind of excel at and i know that from knowing you personally and on the stem camp side you have a a specific niche Uh, but what would you kind of assess as your your expertise and what you bring to both the iu and other organizations you participate with
2: Yeah, I think I really got hooked on the whole idea of STEM integration and the idea of how can we take this really cool, new, innovative, you know, toy and take that engagement of kids playing with it, but then turn it into more of this, you know, this experience, whether it be project-based learning or inquiry-based or something they could do. Um, So I I really, towards the end of my career, kind of got away from even more testing, away from homework and replaced it with a lot of the, you know, the, the mastery type, You know, units where they could go through things in Schoology that were set up, and um, it was more of like a blended environment, and they were kind of more self-paced but regulated by me. Um, So it was kind of this cool, you know, shift from here's the tool, here's the tech, but we're really going to go a little bit deeper and make sure that we're integrating it. If that happens again, I'm done.
0: We're we're ending
2: the interview. We we can't have that stuff happening, Matt. (laughs) You think he'd iron this out in the pilot, but by the third episode, having these distractions, I have to talk to my agent. But yeah, so I, in, in summarizing, um, which really what what I kind of live by right now is is from my experience in helping teachers in this area is it's really about the experience, and no matter what acronym you use, STEM, stream, you know, MCL, personalized learning, whatever buzzword you want to put in, I think the whole goal of that is getting to. The student-centered learning environment, right? The idea that we want kids creating, we want them collaborating, we want them solving problems. We don't want them sitting there just doing a worksheet. We want them to kind of be, you know, being engaged and creative. And the really cool part about it is is that there's so much technology and STEM tools and, and these really cool tech toys that are available to accomplish that, where we don't have kids just sitting there listening, taking notes, but they're active, right? They're, it's all student-centered. We're trying to get kids to create, invent, collaborate, do a whole bunch of stuff. And and that's kind of where a lot of my workshops and training is uh, centered around
0: right now. That's that's perfect because, you know, coming across teachers um, every now and then, um, both novice and veteran, um, you often – I'm sure you come into contact with those – who are hesitant to bring these innovative ideas into the classroom and um, are hesitant to uh, maybe even create more student autonomy um, from time yeah. to time, because it is letting go. It is letting control um, be passed from ourselves to students. And as educators, we do like that sense of control. Like that's that's who we are. We like to yeah. have some control yeah. over things. So what, what advice do you give to those teachers when you're at your trainings and you're at your workshops that are, you can sense the hesitation or maybe they're just really yeah. forthright about it. What are, what are some of the pieces of advice you give to them why this is such an important tool for our students? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um,
2: and part of it, too, is I think you know, a, lot of, a lot of people's misunderstanding of STEM integration or what STEM really is. Um, so a lot of teachers say, well, I, I can't teach STEM. You know, I teach fourth-grade reading or I teach fifth-grade ELA. Like, you know, I leave that for the science, technology, engineering or math teacher. Uh, but I think the whole, the whole buzzword of STEM <clears throat> is we need, to, we need to move past the acronym, right? That it's not just these content areas, but it's more of like STEM as a movement or as a process where it's this kind of culture where, you know, you, you identify problems through conversations or even just observations, and then you start thinking of ways to do something better or solve problems. So it's, this, it's kind of this mindset or movement, I guess is a better word, movement, STEM as a movement. Um, you know, just getting kids creating and doing something. So, you know, going back to your question, I usually start with that, but then I say, you know, we don't really need to reinvent the whole wheel here. Like I'm not asking you to go rewrite your whole curriculum. And I know a lot of schools are, but the idea is take what you're doing right now and just find one area that you don't really like teaching. Like find that one area that you've made so many photocopies of the paper that you give out (laughs) that you can't even really read it anymore. Like it's just so bad. Like where, where you're sitting, like teaching that lesson and in the middle of it, you just stop and like question your career, right? So you identify <laughs> those areas and you say, there's gotta be something better out there that I can be doing for these kids where I'm not just talking, doing everything. It's more student-centered. It's more on them doing things. And that could be, a, you know, a, an exit ticket. That could be a previewing activity. That could be a, a part of a station rotation model where they're just going, doing something, interacting with things. You know, the more that we try to get kids engaged in doing something different. Um, I, I think the, the more we are as educators being excited, like I would love hanging out with Matt, well, maybe not Matt, but all the other guys from like <laughs> STEM camp edu and, and just kind of <laughs> hearing what they're doing in their classroom. And then would be like, dude, I can't wait to take this back to my eighth graders. They're going to love this. Like this would fit perfectly in my energy unit, or this would fit perfectly in chemistry, or, you know, I got this cool thing called Bloxels. Let's, let's see what my kids can create and where I can tie this into content. Uh, that was almost as exciting as teaching, right? I, I did have the freedom to kind of really, you know, create my own curriculum, which, you know, I was a little frustrated at the beginning. I was kind of expecting that whole big fat textbook and have it be, you know, this is when you're going to teach where, where you're going to go. But having that freedom in the curriculum was definitely a blessing in disguise. So again, I would say start small, right? If you're, if you're real uneasy about it, doesn't even have to be like a robot. It could just be, you know, maybe we can start bringing in some design thinking stuff or, you know, I do some kind of uh, different types of collaboration or I want to start using these tools here and there. Um, I I think when I, when I help reluctant teachers, they have this mindset that, you know, the whole classroom is going to physically change and the whole curriculum is going to go out and they're going to be so scared because they're not going to know answers. They're not going to know if this robot, whatever, whatever. It's like, nah, just start something small. Like just do something small that, that you can change or modify or update something that you already do, but you just know it could be done better and start there. And then you'll be surprised by how that kind of keeps changing and evolving month to month. And then before you know it, you're two and three, you're, you're totally doing stuff completely different. That's just creating all these awesome experiences for kids. And then you get excited again. You like teaching kids like you as a teacher and
1: you know, happy ever after. <laughs> So, I want
2: to hopefully it
1: doesn't go like that all the time. Yeah, it doesn't. But um, one of the things I want to bring up is in your, I guess, limited teaching career, um, since it is, I mean, I don't want to say it's over, but you definitely have transitioned out of the traditional classroom and into a different position. Mm-hmm. What is kind of yeah. your favorite project or something you left behind that you're proud of? And then transitioning into this new position, which I guess you've been at for almost a year now. Have you been there more than a year? Yeah. Yeah. Coming up on so year. So with that being the case, um, what's something that you're proudest of or uh, excited for the future? So kind of a two-part question.
2: Yeah. So, so the first part, um, I think, and, and I'm, I'm part, yeah, I guess I could say this. I, I I feel like I left a lot behind that I'm proud about at my old district um, you know, a lot of a lot of teachers started using Ozobots and and kind of going through that and integrating that into not just science classes. So it was pretty cool. Uh, we ran a couple cool STEM nights, uh, Steam nights. That was a really cool event for the community and seeing some older kids be engaged in that. So I'm hoping they they continue to do that. Uh, but just this idea that I kind of left and and more teachers were using the makerspace that I kind of helped design. You know, more teachers were starting to use iPads for more innovative ways, not just. You know, taking notes. um So I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm proud in that aspect that I think I kind of left those pockets of innovation. And and there were some teachers that loved it there, and there were some teachers that you know didn't love it. And I think that that's kind of the reality of of anywhere that you're at. um Some teachers are really going to take to it, and some not so much right away, which is completely fine. You know, you just kind of show um, the benefits of what you're doing, and if it's not their style or it's not their their cup of tea, I. Don't let that hold you back from what can you're you, doing. Can you talk a little um, bit more yeah. about
1: the uh, the hub, which is kind of what you're dancing around? Like, how did it yeah, come to so be? So we had a
2: yeah, yeah. So we had a um, they were a junior senior high school, so the buildings are right next to each other, and the decision was made to consolidate the junior high library into the senior high library. So we were basically left with this old, huge, empty junior high library. Um, that had no books in it. So we converted it to um, kind of like a, a innovative learning center, which we called The Hub. It was the middle of the building, which is pretty cool. Um, and it lay dormant actually for a while. Uh, and then I was like – I was getting really into makerspaces. I went to the superintendent some principals and librarian, and I was like, hey, I think we can make it into a makerspace, innovative learning center. Um, so I actually used classroom time – with eighth graders to go in there and gut shelves out and we turned it into design thinking where, um, you know, I sat my students down and I said, Hey, what environment would you like to learn in best? And what would you want this to look like? And it was a really cool project. Um, there's a, a short video about it on YouTube that kind of goes through some of the footage and, and the mindset behind it. Um, but you know, we didn't really have any money available, so we just had the students do the work, but we, uh, we didn't have any funding to buy things. So it was kind of this cool, I guess you could call it like hacking, like a learning space kind of deal um, where we reused a lot of stuff. Um, we had a couple of donations of, of some old furniture that was given um, by people that found it at garage sales and stuff. But we really had this really cool wide open area where we had a, a designated STEM area, had a lot of connects, uh, had Spheros, Ozobots, Makey Makey, some more of like the electronics area. We had a, a green screen studio set up. We had more of a maker space kind of maker heavy area. We had a lot of open areas, flexible areas for um, you know teachers to kind of bring students. So we kind of envisioned this to be that innovative learning center where we could have you know a couple classes in there at once doing some things. Um, and and part of it was you know it, it still needed a lot of work to be done. Um, the cool part about it is they're still in my county, so I'm I'm still going to be supporting those guys and, and trying to make that space. And we were able to actually just get them. Um, some free donated more free donated furniture, which is pretty awesome. Um, So yeah, I think the hub is something definitely cool that I left behind. But at the same time, that was what was bittersweet about leaving the district because I saw so much potential in it. And I I left it in my mind a little bit more unfinished than I wanted to. Um, I still kind of have this, you know, I think about it a lot about how that space could have really been been awesome. And and I know it will be. um, But to kind of be a part of that would have been really cool to kind of see it really, really come to be what it should be. But um, but with that experience going through that, that's what now I help schools with. A lot of my job is, is helping schools redesign learning spaces and create these new spaces uh, in libraries or old classrooms. Um, so a couple schools in our county are, are doing some really cool things with transforming classrooms and creating these innovative learning spaces. So my experience and process at October of creating that space now kind of Moved into me helping schools in our area and, and different districts create these spaces for kids. So it was definitely a good process that I had to go through. But that's what uh, that's what the hub story is in a nutshell.
1: Perfect. Um, I think uh, I have one major question. I don't know if
0: Mike wants to chime in with anything else. Um... I do have a question, and honestly, Matt, this is something that gets. Cut out. That's totally fine because I'm just listening and I'm thinking about the school that I work in. And uh, we're we're actually an open concept school, Ryan. Nice. So like yeah. we're we're hoping to you know we legitimately were built in the 70s and not much has changed in that building since okay. um, since that time. But we're looking yeah. to create new spaces. Have you ever worked in or with a school who's open concept to like create? anything of, of that nature have you ever yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and actually you,
2: you guys are uh, and i don't know if this happened but um so in in the 70s right that was the design of schools is to right. be like all open concept so mm-hmm. you have these really cool like open concept schools with like weird green rugs or like colored <sighs> walls and stuff but then what happened is a lot of schools in the 80s 85s they renovated those and they mm-hmm. made them more like sectioned off. So now they closed off classrooms. And the funny thing is it's swinging back the other way. Right. But now Pendulum. we're in like 2018. Yeah. yeah. And they're like, Hey, we really need open spaces. So like these schools are literally knocking down walls that they never really had to build in the first place. And I, I, there's like a, you know, a cool, you know, the whole, nah, I shouldn't say cool, but you know, studying at, at the grad course level, um, is the idea that this whole idea of uh, trust and accountability, like that was a big concern for you know the state and we can't trust teachers. We have to have the science teacher teach in the science class. We need to bring in more testing, more accountability. Um, and I think that's kind of what transformed a lot of schools to move from open classroom to more closed off. Mm-hmm. Thankfully now I feel like we're swinging the other way where, hey, it's okay. Like if my math class and science class are right next to each other and yep. we can like do something together. So. Yeah, man, I'd I love to check it out. I, I kind of travel a lot and, and go see other schools and other places. And if I can hang out and you know make some contributions or just even bounce some help you guys bounce some ideas off,
0: I'm in. So, yeah, man, I'd do, yeah. I'll, I'll be in touch as long as there's absolutely. As long as
1: there's a potluck dinner or a lunch provided, yeah. Ryan will be there. That's his his main <laughs> <thing> <laughs> for food. <currency>. out <laughs> yeah. yeah, man, no, and, and that's cool. Like, and,
2: and that goes back to. You know, I, I knew I was getting so excited about like the really cool parts of teaching and, and ways to get kids engaged mm-hmm. that I almost was getting a little frustrated with being a teacher at the same time. I know it sounds really weird, but I was I was being pulled in a lot of directions and I was starting to get a little bit of that burnout feel mm-hmm. where it's like I'm trying to teach my eighth grade class and luckily it was more project based learning. But then there would be five teachers lined up out my door asking for help to log into their iPad or hey, can you show me Paradeck Deck or my Schoology is not working. So it's kind of this, this tug between two worlds. Right. Um, so I, you know, but again, like having that desire to kind of help teachers and to help teachers realize their, you know, um, their ability to kind of make these transformative lessons and experiences for kids was the draw to kind of make the jump. So I'm, I've really been on this, this kick of just traveling around and seeing what schools are doing and, and running workshops at different places and, and learning things. I was, a I got to do the, the Raspberry Pi certified educator thing. So I'm in that network now. I went to New York this past summer and did a lot of stuff with them. Um, so it's cool. It's cool reaching out to these companies and, and with my experience in the classroom, going through a lot of those struggles that I know teachers are going through now. And um, also seeing, being in these meetings now with administrators and understanding budgeting and, and what, and their aspect of things and, you know, even though there's, we all hate testing, they're still testing. So, mm-hmm. you know, na- navigating those types of roadblocks and barriers. Um, but yeah, man, anytime I'm out and about, I, I love, I love checking out schools and different things. So great. I would love to come and visit. Yeah.
1: Great. We'll take you up on that. And, any yeah. listener is, uh, willing to take Ryan up on the, uh, he'll stop by your school again, pack a lunch for yeah, him. He'll no be joke. there. No joke. No joke. Pizza. I'm not a picky eater
2: <laughs> Pizza and an, and an adult soda. Afterwards. So the last question we <laughs>
1: usually ask our, our guests really comes down to advice. And uh, seeing as you're still you know, in your education journey, you are still progressing through it.
2: Um, yeah.
1: Almost to the point of a milestone that you're excited about. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Kind of what would be your uh, advice to either, again, the demographic of this podcast, the the new or future teacher the, what do you think would be your your last going for like the hipsters, uh, the the fresh out of yeah, college? Yeah, well, I, I think that just because it's it's kind you of think like you're that, cool what's that?
2: that you're that you're that cool to reach
1: this younger We're audience. To. That's our goal. Mike Mike has some great uh, well, com- Mike is already contacts. I, can tell I don't that necessarily automatically. Mike, put but, um, yeah, just yeah. what is your your uh, okay. general feel for <laughs> advice that you would provide others? Seeing that yeah a you're kind of more i i mean in my impression, dealing with some teachers, as Mike was talking earlier, maybe more resistant because yeah. they've been doing it in a certain way for a while, and our goal is yeah. to be touching base with new and and again any t- teaching practice that's good for a new teacher is good general teaching practice, so go for it. What, what would be your word of yeah. advice as, uh, if you were to go into a classroom tomorrow, that was your classroom, how would you approach it? Yeah. So my, my advice
2: would be, um, it's kind of corny, but the whole concept of like, just take those risks that you, you think you want to take. Um, I know coming out of school, you know, being real excited about teaching and, and kind of taking what I learned a little bit at the college level and and this idea of like the more projects and they were kind of moving into that area. But I would say, don't be afraid to kind of take those risks. But also with that, like, don't be afraid to tell other people that you're doing it, especially principals. So I I think a lot of teachers, they have this fear that they want to try this new innovative tool or this new innovative, you know, process or, or teaching style. Um, But they're afraid that the day that they go to do it, they're either going to get a walkthrough or like nothing's going to work or a teacher's going to walk by and start judging them, Um, especially early on, you know, being a teacher first, second, third year. uh, It's kind of hard to take those risks. So I would say take them, but also tell principals that you're trying to do it. And and that kind of creates that open conversation between them like, hey, I, I found this really cool thing on Twitter or, you know, this idea, this thing called Bloxel's. I want to give it a shot. I don't really know how it's going to go, but this is why I want to do it. It's good for kids. It's engaging. It's going to help me teach these lessons. It's going to create these opportunities for them. Um, So I would say definitely, you know, don't be afraid to go to a principal, not from like, you know, I'm insecure about this, but I want to let you know I'm trying this and I'll let you know how it goes. So I, I think a lot of, a lot of teachers coming out are kind of afraid to approach principals in that aspect. And I would say, you know, majority of principals that I interact with daily love to hear that from teachers. And I think they struggle sometimes in getting that type of relationship with teachers is, Hey, I want you to take these risks. I was very fortunate to have principals that really loved what I was doing. So it was really easy for me to say, Hey guys, we're going to try to use Spheroes to do this. I don't know how it's going to go, but we're going to give it a shot. Um, and then, and have knowing that I had their whole, you know, total support and backing and, they weren't gonna walk by and be like, oh, well, the Danielson model. So, you know, like they were, they were gonna be completely cool with it uh, and wanted to hear how it went. And that's kind of how I got to train other teachers with it. But, and the other part would be that kind of goes with that, and Mike talked about it earlier, is this idea where it's okay if you're not the, the master of all the knowledge and you don't know everything, especially content related. Um, I was an eighth grade biology major, but I don't even really know how I graduated, to be honest with you. But I taught eighth grade science. I learned the most science, like, while I was teaching. And it's kind of cool. Like, you start, you know, gaining this depth of knowledge yourself as you're teaching. Uh, But just to have that attitude and and that idea and mindset that, you know, I hope these students at one point might leave knowing more than I do, and that would be awesome. Uh, But it's okay. Like, if a kid asks me a question and I don't know an answer to it, we can look it up together or, you know, you give the answer, man, that's a really good question. I really don't know what it is. Why don't we check that out? So I think, you know, having that mindset of, you know, it's going to be a trial and error early on and for me to stay excited about teaching, I need to know that I might fail. Um, but that's part of the learning process and, and kind of that failure and that mindset is when you, you start to do some really cool things after a couple of attempts. So I know that paid off for me. There, you know, there's a couple tough days where it's like, man, that did not go well at all. Um, but then, you know, later on, a month later, try it again, or you kind of, you know, adapt or you change a thing or two. And then, and then before you know it, you're doing some pretty cool things that, that students are talking about and enjoying, um, you know, remembering, uh, and going through it. So
1: yeah, that'd be it. All right. Well, cool. Like I said, we really appreciate you taking the time to to talk with us. Hoping to have you on. Yeah. Thanks for having me on guys. This is cool. I, I appreciate of course. it. Hoping to have you on. No, on thank you, Ron. good times. Um, yeah,
2: hopefully I go check out Mike's yeah. school. If you're if you're interested <laughs> in
1: Ryan taking a, a visit to your school, uh how can how can they best get in contact with you? Uh Twitter
2: I, I'm I'm starting to get more and more active on Twitter, which is pretty cool. So Twitter definitely is probably the easiest one. Um it was cool, like about a month ago I, I started getting these these Twitter messages from people, hey, like I'm doing this, what would you recommend? Doing that, doing that. And so I'm starting to get a taste of you know this stuff outside of PA, which is pretty awesome. So yeah, Twitter, Twitter messages is cool. How would
1: they get in contact
2: with um, you? Oh, at Mr. Ryan Anthony. So it's at Mr. And then R Y N E, my last name Anthony. Um, hopefully, if uh, Matt tweets this out, he'll tag that me in it. Do that. I'm sure he will. So <laughs> yeah, that would be the easiest way. Um, and uh, yeah, that and honestly, too, like I don't know. I know a lot of colleges are getting kids kids i'm acting like i'm a a 60 year old like ready to retire teacher listen here guys you know no um like get on twitter more as a as a teacher um and if you have to make a different account because you don't want people looking at your college account definitely do it and and use your name in it too that helps so if you put like mr first you know last name kind of like i did um you know, I, I think that the Twitter game for teachers is is really stepping up big time. There's a lot of cool stuff going on, uh, and you're following the right people, you get really cool ideas. Um so I mean, I have the privilege that I can kind of set different notifications and be on my phone a lot walking around and doing things. but um there's a lot of cool stuff happening and it's cool seeing you know teachers that only have fifty or sixty followers you know, take that risk and put a cool like Sphero video up or a dash video up or something they're doing with microbits, bits. And, and you kind of retweet it for them and, and you get to see that take off a little bit. So that's pretty awesome. Um, and, and it's kind of, I think that's the whole idea is this ability to kind of share ideas, not just with teachers in the state, but across the country. And that can be huge for a teacher first starting out. You might not have that support in your district right away, but if you see other people doing it, that could be huge. So, uh, definitely get on Twitter and, and, uh, and get active in that.
1: Absolutely. I know we've talked about how yeah. the, the teacher right down the hall may not teach the same way you do. So outlets, I know my wife is using Instagram and loving it. Yeah. Um, Twitter. Yeah. Just developing the, the PLN, the personal learning network. So, all right. Yeah, no, that's huge. Well, thank big you help. so much Rhino. Um, appreciate the time. Yeah. And, uh, my pleasure, we'll hope, man. Thanks for having me on. Hope to have you on soon.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, we'd love to be back. All right. Thanks, Ryan. All right. See yeah, you. Man. Mike. Nice meeting you, man. Keep doing good work with Matt here.
0: <laughs> yeah, trying. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I gotta tell you what, Matt. I you know, I've heard you talk about Ryan before and, and you know, I follow him on, on Twitter and um appreciate the ideas and things that he posts. But getting the opportunity to talk to him uh, is a whole nother experience. I sat and I listened, and there's not many people, and you'll know this about me and you'd agree, and if my wife were sitting here, she'd roll her eyes and say, oh, it couldn't be more true. That could pull me and my attention completely away from a very important NFL football game that like right. Ryan did tonight. <laughs> um, and one of the things that he made me really reflect on was – Creating opportunities for our kids to um, experience autonomy and collaboration. You know, our world is heading in such a way that our kids need to be able to collaborate in any work environment that they're going to move into in the 21st century. There's just, there's just. So many opportunities out there, um, whether it's technology, STEM, STEAM, um, or just a simple collaboration between two people doing a job together. I I watched two UPS men carry our uh, or move books into our building yesterday, and the way they work together and as smoothly as they did, it may not seem impressive to just someone kind of a a person just standing by but as someone who struggles to open doors while they're carrying things and (laughs) need someone else to do it watching these two do it without even saying a word to one another you know their ability to collaborate those just that that what probably appears the most to be a simple nuance of a job they made it look so seamless and so easy and we all know that that's not always easy when you're carrying hundreds of pounds of books oh yeah Uh, into a building full of students nonetheless so I mean you know that he, what I was listening to and that ability to give kids the autonomy to communicate with one another and collaborate with one another um, for for their futures is, is it was the main pull out for me today. How about you?
1: so I, I think um, I, I've obviously known Ryan for a, a while now but Um, One of the things that Ryan pushes me to do is, uh, reminds me of Sir Ken Robinson. Uh, Are you familiar with him at all? Yeah. So Sir Ken Robinson is uh, very respected in the educational field. Uh, We may have talked about him before, but he talks about, in one of his speeches, creativity in the classroom. Um, and it's a Ted talk and it's phenomenal. It's from 2008 and it may be old, but it is still relevant today. So if you have a chance to check it out, but really the, the focus behind it is bringing creativity into the classroom. And he has one line that kind of sticks with my, my mind is, yeah, uh, you, you just talked about like preparing kids for the 21st century. Well, the 21st century has been here for now 18 years. Like we're 18 years into the 21st century. What are we doing Mm -hmm. about it? now because we're in it it's it's not something we're preparing for anymore um but kind of talking about that is the kids that are in our classroom now again this is dated a little bit but the kids that are in our classroom he says are going to retire at age 2000 in 2065 and uh one of my favorite things is we don't know what's going to happen in three or five years from now how are we preparing kids for 2065 And it's 2018 right now. I can do my best to adhere to the standards and adhere to the common core. I would imagine it's not going to look like that Uh, by the end of my current kids' duration of education in whether that's Peckway Valley, my school district, college, or beyond, but definitely look a heck of a lot different at that time. So the, the skills... And as we get into a a digital world where uh, kids struggle with communication skills and and interaction and collaboration is building that in and forcing that into classroom. Uh, It's something I do in my my seating arrangements. Uh, No one sits alone. They sit at collaborative tables because they need to develop skills to talk and work with another, especially if it's someone that they're not too keen to work with. So um, I, I think... He, he is one of those people that is uh, definitely different than myself. I see something new. I see it on Twitter. I see it on Facebook. I see someone posting a, a viral video, whatever the case is, about this, this classroom doing something crazy. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I, I could never do it. And I'm pretty tech savvy. I think I'm, I know my way around. Ryan is one of those people that just dives right in. And I think that's a little bit of... Um, mentality that we all could have that uh, as long I know we talked about this before the interview but as long as we trust that we're not going to be penalized for trying something even if we fail that it's not never going to hurt us if we jump in give it a shot because guess what it's going to be boring or uh, pretty minimal in three or four years from now so if we can get that exploratory opportunity when it is still new and the kids have that experience of not knowing the outcome already or not having watched hours of videos on how to do it beforehand, but they are creating their own pathway. That is the, the benefit that uh, Ryan brings to a lot of classrooms in the Pennsylvania area.
0: Yeah. I love that. You know, just, you know, the, the idea of just giving, teachers the confidence to give kids the confidence to work in a collaborative way and with autonomy um, is something that I, I admire about him and I'd love to hear more about because that's you know that's a that's a common struggle for you know I said this during the interview and I'll, I'll say it again it's it's hard for us as educators whether we teach first grade 11th grade sixth grade to give up complete control and allow students to have the autonomy necessary that what he is talking about um, becomes successful and I believe in it but I think it's something that you know we as educators have to continue to work toward, and, and it's it's a process. And if we can make that process, um, if we can make that process become comfortable within our classrooms, then our kids are going to be successful in the year two thousand sixty five rolls around.
1: That's the hope. And I mean, we're not going to be able to know uh, if we're successful. The only thing is if we can teach them to be better individuals. And talking about the heart wise, the head wise, those type. Components, if I, if I know you have good character, you have good morals, and you have good work ethic, and you're willing to explore, then that's the best that I can ask. Uh, it's mm-hmm. way more important than if you can tell me the regions of Pennsylvania or the parts of a light bulb, which, yes, are fourth grade standards. Um, it's not going to kind of transcend those years beyond. So I, I, I think, kind of wrapping up tonight, the the thing that I want people to take away, uh, in addition to to try new things, is, is that as an educator you don't also need to see teaching as your only career option, and I don't want to discourage people from leaving teaching, but you have Mike here who went in the the route of administration, um, which is doing incredible things in his own right, uh, getting to talk to some of your colleagues and. Uh, some people that I, I randomly run into just living in the same town as where you teach and saying, oh, you, you, you know about Price Elementary, do you know about Mike? And like, oh my gosh, you don't even know the, the, the environment that he's created in the short time there. Um, the, the same type effect happens for, for Ryan. And what's really cool is he has taken the priority of touching as many kids' lives um, beyond his school district because he has many gifts and he has many talents and he has put himself out there to, to kind of showcase his his creative and ambitious side. And so now he's talking to teachers across the state, across multiple state lines, uh, nationally at this point, and just making that impact just trickle down even further than he could ever make even though he would be in the grind of every day in the classroom so um, I say this to new teachers in my building people that are looking for master's degrees always look what your next option might be I have not done a great job of that because I was a special ed teacher moved to regular ed and I haven't moved since but there is definitely aspects of considering other options because I don't want to bring up burnout but there are, it's great to be proactive and take a shift when you choose it instead of when you need it. And Ryan's a perfect example of an opportunity kind of fell in front of him that is a dream job. I mean, that title alone, innovation specialist is pretty awesome. His job is to look at everything coming on the market, get it, play with it, figure out how to to interact with it with deep instructional content behind it and then share that with teachers. It's a pretty amazing position. I think we could all understand how, uh, how that could be quite, uh, desirable. So, Oh yeah. But kind of on that note, I think, uh, we will close it up for tonight. It is great to be back, Michael. Uh, Yeah, and, uh, I mean, I know that we still have Christmas uh, and the holidays, New Year coming up, but hopefully we can get a few in for your uh, listening pleasure, and as always, I know uh, we'd love to be in touch. It was awesome to hear, like I said, people check in to make sure we're all right, that we uh, we do not have a feud going on, uh, <laughs> just busy
0: lives and uh, busy wives, so. Absolutely absolutely and you know if 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 you're looking to get in touch with one of us um twitter is the best way i am at a price s-d-o-l at a price s-d-o-l and you can find matthew at
1: ed tech neighbor
0: so and we are um very excited we'll be back again next week uh, keep an eye out for updates on our Twitter account. Um, that is simply at pod underscore faculty room. And uh, Matt, it's good to be back, man. It Feels is good, good to be back.
1: Before I let you go, I, I do want to say I think we have two of our very best guests. I know Ken and, and Ryan were pretty awesome. Uh, up next, we're hoping to have a good uh, – I know. I think we teased this back in October. Uh, 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 someone quite – close and personal to Mike joining the podcast, um, to talk about restorative practice, uh, Beth Smell and, uh, a good friend of mine, Dr. Sam up in the next two episodes. So hopefully we can get those to you before the holiday break. Um, two pretty empower, uh, powerful and, uh, impactful, uh, females in the field of education in two totally opposite ways. So, uh, again, taking niches of what they did in their classroom and just taking it to um, the 100th degree is just uh, that's our goal, bring the best to you. So,
0: looking Absolutely, forward to and we look forward to doing that here in the next couple weeks. Until then, we're going to sign off, and uh, make sure you, you hit us up on Twitter and, and let us know what you're thinking and, and anything that you want to hear about.
1: All right. Good night, everyone, or good morning, or good afternoon whenever you listen to it. We'll talk to you later. Have a good one, guys.